8 in your red pew bibles we're reading from mark chapter 2 verse 13 to chapter 3 verse 6 So Mark 2, verses 13 to 3, verse 6. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of sunshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what what David did and his companions when they were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, stretched out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot 
with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Um, let's just uh, bow in prayer and uh, as we come to consider God's word. Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for the privilege that we have now to, um, uh, to read it and to uh, think about it and to be changed by it. Uh, we pray also for the children in Sunday school that uh, they, the gospel would be firmly planted in their minds and their hearts and would bear much fruit. Uh, free us, Father God, from thoughts which would distract us. Help us to be serious-minded about your word. And we pray that uh, through this uh, time that we would be uh, changed in terms of our understanding and in terms of our affection for Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. One of the problems that, the, uh, that NASA experienced during the space shuttle program was the unexpected problem of the Sabbath. Uh, you see, the Old Testament says that you work six days and you rest one day. But what about when you're in space? What about when you're orbiting the Earth? You see, the, uh, the space shuttle orbited the Earth once every 90 minutes. Uh, and technically, uh, every orbit of the Earth equals one day because from the astronauts' perspective they would see the sun rise and the sun set. And so how should a Jewish astronaut orbiting the earth observe the Sabbath? Um, the question was should she or he uh, take 90 minutes of rest after every six orbits? Would that satisfy the uh, the requirements of the Sabbath. Now, Colonel Elon Raymond was not the first Jewish astronaut on the space shuttle program, but he was the first one to want to be practicing uh, his faith in terms of the Sabbath uh, whilst he was in space. And so they ha NASA had to consult uh, Jewish rabbinical experts. Uh, all over the world. And the, uh, the rabbis were thrilled to bits about this because uh, they had been thinking about this issue for years uh, in theory, but now they had a good practical reason to actually work it out. And uh, the fact that they were being consulted about the space program was very, very exciting for them. And as you can imagine, when you get three or four experts together, you get five or six opinions, and they were divided on it. Uh, some said that, uh, well, he actually uh, did not have to observe the Sabbath whilst he's in space because he would not be experiencing Earth time. Uh, others disagreed with that. They said, no, 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 Earth rules still apply because you cannot exist in space without recreating Earth-like conditions, like you know, oxygen, for example. And so they said that because of that, that he still had to observe the Sabbath, even though he was in space. Uh, the question was, well, okay, if he has to observe the Sabbath, then how? Um, what's it going to look like? What shape is that going to take? Um, it sort of makes our questions about the Sabbath seem rather ordinary, doesn't it? 
But we do have from time to time questions about the Sabbath. Um, is there a special day for the Sabbath? Is it Sunday or uh, should it be Saturday, as uh, some people say? Um, are there certain things that you should or shouldn't be doing on the Sabbath if, in fact, there is a special day that we call the Sabbath and so on? Uh, what kinds of work can you do? Can you go to the shops? Can you... and so on. Now, when Jesus trod the dusty uh, roads of, uh, of Galilee, questions about the Sabbath and other Jewish laws were very, uh, were, were, were very much alive. And as we see in today's passage, it was these kind of questions which caused Jesus and the religious leaders, particularly the Pharisees, to, to clash, to headbutt uh, with one another um, because of these issues. Um, in today's passage, which you might want to have open in your Bibles in Mark chapter 2, we see this clash take place in three different ways. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to work through those three ways. I'm going to draw out some implications. First of all, in chapter 2, verses 13 through to 17, Jesus enjoyed having dinner with sinners and tax collectors. Now, I need to ask this question before I go any... Does anyone here work for the Australian Tax Office? No? Michelle's got a friend who does. There might be people who work for the eight that they're just not admitting it. Um, that's okay. If you, that's fine. I've got an uncle who was a bank manager and he said at parties when people say, what do you do for a living? He'd kind of skate around that and wouldn't try you know. But you see, you know, you can imagine at a party if someone says, well, I work for the tax department, it's very predictable how that conversation is going to go, isn't it? You know, it's going to be complaints about, you know, the, the GST and bath statements and you know, the, the carbon tax and basically, you know, being ripped off by the government. That's the way that conversation's going to go. In the first century, people genuinely, well, people were being ripped off by the government um, through the taxes. Um, in verses uh, 13 and 14, Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee when he meets a man named Levi. And Mark tells us that Levi was sitting at the tax collector's booth. Do you see that? Friends, that one comment, Levi was sitting at the tax collector's boot, booth, that one comment tells us a lot about Levi. That one comment tells us that Levi was hated and despised that in all of Capernaum, which was the, t the nearest town where they were, that the people of Capernaum would have absolutely hated Levi. Um, why? Well, he was a tax man. But more than that, the Romans occupied Israel and the Romans, wherever they went, collected taxes from the people of the countries who they had taken over. Um, the question was, who would actually do the job of collecting the taxes? The system was this. What they would do was they would sell a franchise uh, business. Uh, they franchised tax collecting out and what they needed to do was to find a local who was so greedy that he was prepared to turn his back on his own people to become a traitor to his people 
to collect taxes from them uh, to, to, to send off to Rome. But more than that, the way that the system, what made it so attractive, the way that they were able to lure people into doing this was that there was a certain amount of tax that had to go to Rome, but uh, the tax man was able to collect more than that. Uh, he was given uh, great liberty to collect as much as he wanted and he was backed by Roman soldiers. And the additional stuff he collected went into his pocket. And so you can imagine how despised a person like that would be. Um, they were greedy, they were traitorous, and they were rich. And they were friends of Jesus. And that's the interesting point here, because in verse 14, Jesus invited Levi to, to come and follow him, to be one of his disciples. Now, Levi would have been very surprised about that because Jesus was a religious rabbi, a teacher, and he's come and asked him to follow him. In fact, Levi, we're told, was so thrilled to bits that he organised a party at his house and uh, he invited Jesus and the disciples and he also invited all of his tax collector's mates. I guess no one else would invite them to a party. And he also invited uh, a category of people who were described there as being sinners. Do you see that? Now, that's strange, isn't it? Because the Bible says that we're all sinners, that not one of us has uh, perfectly obeyed God, that we've all fallen short of God's glory. But it uses this term, sinners, to describe um, the kinds of people who were seen as having very little or no regard for the law of God. And uh, so it would have included thieves, it would have included drunkards, it would have included prostitutes and so on. And so you can imagine the scene. Uh, Jesus is sitting down having a meal, partying with tax collectors and thieves and prostitutes and the Pharisees were nearby. And in verse 16, the Pharisees, they saw this and they were offended. Now, there's a couple of reasons why they might have been offended. I mean, Jesus is choosing to hang out with sinners and tax collectors rather than hanging out with Pharisees. But uh, more than that, Jesus is, is crowds of people had been following Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher of God's word, and they would be asking the question, well, how could Jesus hang out with this lot? Now, what motivated their question? Um, I don't know, sometimes... Uh, do you have the experience when someone asks you a question but you think to yourself, hang on, is that, a, is that a question or is that a criticism? Do you know the kind of question I mean? You know, like, uh, uh, Scott, was that you that left your clothes on the floor? You know, that's not a genuine question. That's a, you know, yes, you, you got me. That's a, that's a criticism. Um, and that's what's going on here. Uh, in verse 16, the Pharisees cornered the disciples of Jesus with a question. The question is, why does Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? I don't think that they really wanted to know so that they could change themselves. No, uh, and we see it in Jesus' response in verse 17. If you take a look at that, in verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Now, to some extent, Jesus is being tongue-in-cheek because he didn't really think that the Pharisees were righteous, but they did. Um, The Pharisees did not believe that they needed forgiveness and they were dead certain that the sinners and the tax collectors did not deserve forgiveness. That was their attitude. Now, that's the first clash. The second clash is in chapter 2, verses 18 through to 22, and it's about fasting and feasting. Um, To fast, obviously, is to go without food. Um, In Bible times, when people wanted to pray, um, especially pray, uh, to have special times of prayer, perhaps because there was, they needed to be confessing their sin, they needed to be repenting, they, or they were mourning. When people wanted to have special times of prayer, uh, they would need to create the space in their day for that to happen. And in a, a society like theirs, when to prepare meals and to eat meals took up so much time, what they would do is that they would uh, create space by not preparing meals, by not eating. And so they would fast in order that they might pray. And that's why prayer and fasting uh, always seem to go together in the Bible. Do you know how many times a year the Old Testament said that uh, God's people had to fast? Once. Only once. So it was on the Day of Atonement. That's the only law about fasting. Only once, the Day of Atonement. Over the centuries though within the culture uh, they developed other times when they would fast other particular times of the year but as far as the old testament law was concerned it was only one day and that was the day of atonement um the pharisees would fast every monday and every thursday every thursday that was their choice uh it wasn't god's law but that was their choice In verse 18, the Pharisees were fasting and so were some of the followers of John the Baptist. Now, um, these followers of John the Baptist, we're not quite sure why they were fasting. Uh, To be honest, I'm not quite sure why they hadn't become followers of Jesus. I think that's what John would have wanted. Um, There are apparently people today in Iran who are followers of John the Baptist and some of them have moved to places like Australia, I met one on one occasion. These were followers of John the Baptist. Why were they fasting? We don't know. It may be that because John had recently been executed that they were fasting as part of their their mourning of what was going on. But the point is, the point is what we see uh, about Jesus and his disciples. Because whilst others were fasting, Jesus and his disciples just kept on eating and drinking. And the question, therefore, is why? Jesus gives two reasons. Firstly, it is not appropriate for Jesus' disciples to fast. It's not appropriate. Uh, Verses 19 and 20. Uh, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. Uh, Have you ever been to a wedding where there was no food? Of course not. Um, People spend tens of thousands of dollars. People spend too much money making sure that there's plenty of food 
at a wedding because a wedding is a time to celebrate. Now, what Jesus says here sounds very arrogant because he is saying that his very presence is the reason why people should be celebrating and, not, and, and feasting, not, not mourning, not, not fasting. He does say that a time will come when it will be appropriate to, to mourn um, because he will be gone. But whilst he's around, it is time to celebrate. Now that sounds arrogant unless, of course, what he said about himself is true. And what Mark said earlier on in chapter 1, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If he is God's anointed, if he is the king of God who rules the universe, then his presence amongst us is a time to celebrate, to, 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 to eat, to drink, uh, not to fast. Now he goes on then to say some puzzling things about sowing and about wine. Um, I remember a grandmother in my old church, her name was Hazel, and she was around at her son and daughter-in-law's place one time, and she was helping with the, uh, the laundry, and she found her granddaughter's pair of jeans um, had a, um, a tear on the knee like that. It was, it was all torn around the knee. So any grandmothers here today? What, what, what a grand, yes, um, Dorothy, what, what would you do if you found Luke's pair of uh, jeans, uh, you know, with a tear in them? What would be the normal thing that you would do? Yeah. That is one savvy grandmother. You didn't hear it at the back. She said, automatically I'd get out the sewing kit, but knowing how kids actually like to have tears in their jeans, Hazel didn't know that. She went and sewed the thing up and when her granddaughter came home and she said, I paid 20 bucks to have that hole torn in the jeans. Now, Jesus here is talking about, about fabrics and sewing and that, you know, why is he talking about this? He says that if you're going to patch up some old clothes that have got a hole in them, uh, you don't use an unshrunk or a, a new patch. You go and get a patch from some old clothes that's already been shrunk. Because the problem is that if you put a new patch on old clothes, stitch it all up, throw it in the washing machine, and the new clothes and the old and the new patch shrinks, it'll tear away from the old clothes. Now I'm not sure if clothes are made that way these days or not. Apparently jeans don't, you know. But you get the point, don't you? Um, why is he talking about this? It's it's strange. Then he goes on to talk about wine and wineskins. In Jesus' day, people often drank wine because water wasn't always that great. Um, but instead of using ceramic bottles and kegs in order to uh, transport, uh, to store and to transport wine, uh, they would often use animal skins, like the skins of sheep and ox and goats, and uh, they would basically gut the, uh, the animal, <coughs> um, take the skin, they would 
prepare the skin in particular ways and they would sew it where it needed to be sewn. Imagine some of those skins are very large. Uh, in fact, they could hold up to 200 litres of wine in them and it was much more practical in terms of particularly transport, um, transporting wine on animals like camels and, and donkeys and so on if it's an animal skin rather than a keg or a ceramic uh, bottle and whatever. But over time they would become dry and they would become brittle so that if you poured new wine into an old wineskin, the new wine would ferment and would expand and you know given we're talking about large quantities of wine here it would ferment and would expand and guess what would happen to the wine skin uh, it would it would burst uh, and you'd have wine all over the place and friends that is what happens if you take grace and forgiveness if you take the gospel of Jesus which is all about um, forgiveness for the repentant sinner. If you take the gospel of Jesus, if you try to sow that kind of a new patch, or if you try to pour that kind of new wine into the self-righteous, legalistic religion of the Pharisees, then guess what? It won't work. It'll tear away. It'll burst open. Jesus did not come in order to bring a new and improved version of Pharisaism. Jesus did not come in order to make good people better. Why did Jesus come? He said, I came to call sinners. And because the self-righteous, legalistic system of the Pharisees could not connect with and could not contain uh, the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus, then that system of legalism only had one option, and that was to get rid of Jesus, to, uh, to, to eliminate Jesus. And that's what we start to see happening in the third clash, in chapter 2, verses 23, to chapter 3, verse 6. Um, here we, this is the issue about working and resting. Now, um, Sabbath is a Hebrew word. It means seventh. It also means to rest because the two of them are connected. Um, the Old Testament law says that uh, uh, you must not work on the Sabbath. You, you work six days, you rest one day. And there's a lot that I could say about that, but uh, the reason for the Sabbath is fairly straightforward. The Sabbath is given for our good. Uh, the, we're made to be people who work and to rest. That's the way that God has created us. We need to enjoy rest. Um, the person who always works but does not rest is the person who is headed for disaster in their relationships, their relationship with God, their relationship with other people around them, and they're headed for disaster in terms of their health. Uh, we need to get that work and rest balance right, and God has enshrined that. It's, 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 it's there in creation. Secondly, the Sabbath helps us to express our dependence and our trust in God. 
Um, God says, work six days and trust trust me that I will provide for you in the seventh day. You don't have to work 365 days a, a year. And the person who will not stop working because they believe that they are inexpendable, uh, they believe that they must in order to provide, is the person who is not, not trusting that God is actually going to provide for them. God gave us the Sabbath for our well-being. But self-righteous, legalistic religion takes that which is for our benefit and changes it and turns it and twists it uh, into a burden and a burden which is often placed on the shoulders of other people to keep. So in verse 23, um, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. Uh, It's the Sabbath, they're hungry, and so they they pluck some heads of grain to eat. Now the Old Testament Lord said that if you're walking through someone's grain field, you are allowed to pluck the heads of the grain and eat it. You just don't go and harvest the other person's uh, fields. That's not what you should do. So they're walking through the the grain field. It's the Sabbath. They're hungry. They pluck some heads of grain to eat. And the Pharisees were watching. There you go. Working on the Sabbath. Harvesting a crop. Jesus reminds them about David, who became King David, uh, when he and his... Uh, men were escaping from Saul under fear of their lives and they went to the, temp- to the house of God and there was some uh, bread there. It was bread that had been consecrated, that had been dedicated to God uh, to be used by the priests. And David and his friends turn up and they're hungry and they say, have you got some bread? And the priests said, oh yes, we've got some bread but you can't touch it. It's been consecrated to God. I'd rather see you starve. No, he didn't say that. The priest said, yes, we've got some bread. It's consecrated to God and I'm sure God would want us to use it to feed people who are hungry. So Jesus reminds them of that incidence because these Pharisees would rather that Jesus and his disciples go hungry than for them to pluck some grain on the Sabbath. Now, same thing in chapter 3, verses 1 through to 6. Again, it's the Sabbath. This time they're in a synagogue and there's a man with a shriveled hand. We don't know the details of his shriveled hand. It could be some kind of a skin disease. It could be arthritis, you know, with a hand that's all crumpled up. Um, Whatever the case, the point is in verse 2. In verse 2, some of the Pharisees were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, did they care about the poor bloke with the shriveled hand? Were they excited about the possibility that this guy who's been suffering from this ailment for who knows how long, that there's a possibility that he could actually be healed by Jesus? Were they excited about that? No, not at all. I mean, they wanted Jesus to heal him, but not because they cared about him. They wanted Jesus to heal him so that they could pounce, so that they could accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath. Now, remember the astronaut. There was one rabbi 
who I think made a bit more sense than the others who were arguing about space-time and earth-time and so on. Uh, he was an English rabbi and he said to the astronaut or about the astronaut that he didn't have to take the time off. Uh, he said that taking time, taking 90 minutes off every 10 hours or every six orbits uh, would possibly actually endanger the lives of the fellow crew members because <laughs> everyone's effort is required on the space shuttle. And he said that there is a, uh, a principle uh, in respect to the Sabbath that says that saving life takes precedent over religious rituals. That was his advice to NASA. Sounds a little bit like Jesus, actually. Um, in chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus confronted these Pharisees. Uh, Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. See, think about that. Here are the religious leaders. They've just seen this man healed on the Sabbath. Instead of rejoicing with him, what do they do? They begin to plot how they'll kill Jesus. You know why? Because they are old wineskins and Jesus is new wine. The Sabbath helps us to rest. It helps us to express our trust in God. But it points us to something which is much greater, actually. You see, remember the tax collector, Levi. He had another name. Now, uh, Mark tells us that he was Levi, the son of Alphaeus. That's not what I'm referring to. Does anyone know what Levi's other name was? His name was Matthew. See, it was not uncommon for Jews to have two names or to have their name changed. And he did follow Jesus. And he wrote a gospel. And in his gospel, he recorded these same events. But when he recorded them, he recorded another word that Jesus said, where he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. I will give you Sabbath. The ultimate meaning of the Sabbath, the rest which we all need, is eternal rest from the guilt and the burden of our sin. The guilt and the burden that men like Levi, his tax collector and sinner friends, may well have felt. The guilt and the burden that the Pharisees did not feel. Uh, we can be like modern day Pharisees when we are more con concerned about impressing ourselves 
and impressing other Christians by doing all of the things that Christians normally do, having the outward observances, but not actually grappling with the issue of our own sin and not confessing our sin to God and not finding rest for our souls. Rest which is found in the grace and the forgiveness of the cross of Christ. The very reason why Jesus hung around with tax collectors and sinners was so that they might find that rest. So that they might find that rest from the burden of the guilt of their sin because Jesus on the cross has taken that burden, has taken that guilt, has done that work on our behalf. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the new wine, for the new cloth that that he is. We thank you, Father God, for the compassion that he had for sinners and tax collectors, people like us. Father God, we pray for ourselves that we would not be like the Pharisees who are so concerned about meticulous observances of laws and regulations and rules and outward appearances who become uh, proud and arrogant and judgmental of others. Father, may we be humble. We pray that you would expose uh, the sinful attitudes of our heart and would expunge that pride and arrogance from us. We pray, Lord God, that uh, each one of us would find the true rest, the eternal rest that is found uh, in Jesus who came uh, not, for this, not for the healthy but for the sick, not for the righteous but to call sinners to himself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.